0: Hello, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to season four of the Power of Privilege and Allyship podcast. My name is Funke Abinbola, and I'm the CEO and founder of the Austin Bronte Consultancy, a global consulting firm whose main goal is to improve leadership by leveraging the impact of diversity, inclusion, belonging, and equity across the business world. My son, Max Abinbola is co-host of the podcast, And he's a first-year computer science student at Newcastle University. Max normally interviews with me as much as he can, but he actually starts his exams today. So he's busy revising, doing exams, and he can't interview with me today. But I do promise that Max will be back very, very soon. Now, today, I am absolutely thrilled to be interviewing one of our Akindolia medical scholars, Sharon. Sharon, welcome to the podcast.
1: Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. It's a great privilege.
0: So, Sharon, I know all about you because I read your application for the scholarship with, with much interest and you were awarded a bursary in 2021. But our wider audience may not know much about you. So, would you like to introduce yourself to our audience and tell us all a little bit more about you?
1: Yeah, sure. It's always a big question introducing yourself, isn't it? So, um, it is. So so, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I'll start with what I do. So, I'm a third year medical student on the graduate program at the University of Southampton. I'm British Tamil, uh, born and raised in London. My parents then moved to the UK quite young as immigrants. And my passion is about just creating a more, I guess, compassionate world. And as a medical student, I'm focusing on building a career in healthcare and tackling inequalities in healthcare. I've sort of done bits and bobs of everything. I'm very much a generalist. <laughs> I really just enjoy working with people from all sorts of backgrounds, ages. And have spent the last few years developing a portfolio career in health tech and social enterprise.
0: No, it's fantastic, and that certainly came across when you when you applied. you know, I, I love your LinkedIn profile sums you up as democratizing health information. I just love that. It says it all. you know, it gives people enough of a teaser for them to scroll down and find out a little bit more about you. But would you mind telling us a bit more about why you decided to pursue medicine, especially as you, mm. it's a graduate entry option that you've gone for?
1: Yeah, I think medicine is something I've always had in mind. So I applied at 17 and I didn't get in. So I finished school and actually took a gap year, which is probably probably one of the most intense and most intellectually rewarding and stimulating years of my life. So I worked as a research assistant in a lab, which is quite unique having not had a degree and just coming straight out of school. And I was working under an incredible professor of genetics at in the london so i did that for a year working in a lab doing my own research and i really enjoyed that and then i went to pursue my interest in sciences further and just like the human body i'm just like fascinated it's just incredible what the body can do and uh, recover from so i studied medical sciences at the university of exeter during my time there i think I took on a lot of experiences um i always tend to spread myself quite thin and a bit of a busy body so i was quite involved in social enterprises there's quite a big homeless quite a prominent homelessness problem in exeter Started a program there to try and address that issue uh, with other students, and I really enjoyed that working with organisations in the community to see how we can support these individuals. uh, And worked with the YMCA to try and help young individuals get into work, that get onto the ladder. And then I applied to medicine, and I actually got in, which is amazing because the competitive program is the the graduate entry program is very competitive. It's all 30 applicants for one place, and normal medicine is hard enough as it is. So I was I was really Really, really proud of myself for getting in. And then she actually took a bit of a, a detour and decided to defer my entry. So I told the uni, can I take a year out? Because I've just graduated from my undergrad. I want some time. and I need to save some money. And I took my second gap year, I guess, was where I spent most of it pursuing my passions for entrepreneurship and health tech. Actually, in that year, I was invited to, I went to Downing Street, number 10 Downing Street, and spoke with the business advisors about how we can better support entrepreneurs from minority communities. So, and then now I'm doing medicine. So it's a bit of a convoluted journey, but I wouldn't change it.
0: It's wonderful, though, because what I found fascinating about your journey so far, Sharon, is that there's a right time for everything. We don't all have to follow the traditional path. I mean, uh, as you'll be aware, my whole family in medical, apart from me, and and they all went straight into medical school. You know, that's what they wanted to do. But what I'm realizing more and more through the medical scheme that that we run is that there are so many different ways uh, you, can, you can get into medical school. And importantly, there are many different types of medical students as well. You know, you don't all fit uh, the same mold. I mean, would you mind telling us more about the things that you do outside of your studies because of course this is what really caught my eye when I decided that we're going to award you a bursary last year.
1: Yeah and I I completely agree with what you're saying about like I guess people might have assumptions about what a medical student might be but medical students come from all walks of life and there's not like one particular one or they shouldn't be like you know as doctors we only need to represent the patients that we serve and it's important that we have a diverse workforce so Outside of medicine, uh, the little time I have, I try and keep myself very uh, entertained and busy. So last year, I was running a social enterprise called uh, COVID-19 Nefographics, which was started at the peak of the pandemic, at the beginning of the pandemic, actually, in April 2020. I have to get my timeline right now. (laughs) And that was because we were seeing that our friends and family were receiving vast amounts of fake news on WhatsApp and stuff. And often the information was in our own language. So I speak Tamil. So my mom would get information in Tamil on WhatsApp. And, you know, at first I was like, oh, no one really believes this stuff. But then like when you speak to friends and family, you realize people do actually believe it because it's in their own language. And this is at the peak where like, you know, people don't understand what's going on. There's a lot of confusion around COVID and what's, you know, what's going to happen next and people are panicking. So myself and a good friend of mine, who's a junior doctor, started COVID-19 graphics. We started making just like simple one page, graphical visual representation of information. So just the government guidance made into visual infographics and then translated. We started that off just for English and Tamil. And within like a week or two, we got like all these messages from people saying, oh, can you do it in like Hindi? Can you do it in Punjabi? Like, you know, all these different languages. And within, I think it was maybe the first month we had 20 languages. So I'm not a linguist. I mean, I can speak a few languages, but I'm not, you know, a linguist that could do all these languages. But it's just people were so keen to get involved and help their community. It was almost like the community was trying to help themselves and use the skills that they had and their language to support each other. Towards the end of 2020, we had 35-plus languages that we were providing infographics in. And over our course of like one and a half years of running the project completely free, with more than 50 volunteers, we produced 80 resources. So that's like nearly one, one a week. And if I tell you that one resource takes 50 sets, produced plus a q a from medics plus q a Q&A from translators it was a, it, it was a very intense year but it was incredible and we work with so many incredible organizations across the uk care homes councils went on cnn bbc news and we were just very glad that we could play our part to help our community
0: so anyone who's listening to this and wondering what they can possibly do to make a difference. Listen to this specific example from Shiron. Okay. This is a medical student who saw and identified a need, decided to do something about it and look at the impact that he's had. I mean, is there anything else that you'd like to share with us, shiron that you've gotten involved with?
1: I think just adding on to that point actually, the weird one because as the organization grew bigger and more people wanted to get involved, I realized I was almost becoming a leader by accident. Like I didn't choose to be a leader it was just I saw a problem and there's something I could do like I've got a science background I'm from these communities and you know you sort of have to take action yourself you can't sort of, you just have to do what you can with the skills that you have and if you don't have the skills there's always people that are happy to partner with you I guess outside of that I also sort of like to keep myself busy and I really like how technology can impact healthcare so i sort of Tried to build a portfolio career in health tech. And over the last four years, I've been working at various startups, helping them in all sorts of manners from operations to content writing. So now I do a lot of like freelance content writing for companies or running their social media pages. And then I've been, I'm, I'm <laughs> I think the biggest learning from last year was not to spread myself too thin because it's very easy to do, and it's important. I think people hear other people talk about that because it's often awesome, like you just see the successes on LinkedIn, but you don't know what's going on in people's own lives behind the behind the posts and the titles.
0: Yeah, that that's very very true. In fact, I remember when we we ran four separate mentoring sessions, didn't we, Sharon, towards the end of last year for the 2021 cohorts. Uh, prioritizing self-care, you know, wellness, were things that I was very, very honest and open about because, as you rightly say, Sharon, we see the, the highlights on social media. And I think it's so important that as leaders, and I mean leaders of all types, you know, you're a leader, anyone who's driving change is a leader. You really have that responsibility and duty to be authentic uh, about what's going on behind the scenes as well. And and that moves us on quite neatly then, Shiron, into challenges that you've had to overcome. And we've already mentioned that when you first applied for medical school, you didn't get in, you had to take a gap year. Uh, you you came in via graduate entry. Are there any other challenges that you'd like to share with our audience, Shiron? And, and importantly, how you overcame those challenges?
1: So yeah, the, the biggest one was not getting in the first time. I think I was quite shocked To the system. So, big background by my education history is like my mum's always been a very strong believer in the power of education. It's always been something that's been drilled into me, sort of how education can get you out of poverty. And uh, being, you know, my mum moved to this country when she was sixteen very little to her name, nothing really. And I got a scholarship to go to a top independent private school, for secondary school. And I was so surprised I didn't get in. I was just shocked. And I didn't have any doctors in my family. So there's that additional barrier that a lot of medical students from minoritized communities face. They don't know people that can support them with the application. Apart from that, I think another barrier that I sort of faced, challenge I faced was uh, around the time my A-levels and my family were going through quite difficult financial circumstances. Which meant that, you know, we sort of lost our family home and during my levels I remember like during my AS levels we were evicted from my house and trying to find temporary accommodation. And it was just a sort of very, very stressful period of my life. It sort of like sort of blacked out in my mind. And it really makes me like sort of, there's that saying, you know, health as well. I think it's the opposite as wealth well, as wealth is health as well. One of the things you talk about on your podcast a lot is privilege. And I think I realized that, you know, my dad was working 20 hour days as a taxi driver. It was affecting his health. That means that as a result he can not work, which is affecting his wealth. And I sort of became open to these inequalities that exist in society. And during my second gap year, I read a book called The Health Gap by Professor Michael Marmot. It talks about the, this concept of social determinants of health. And I, I, that's why I really got interested in public health and how there are factors that affect people's health that they have no control over conditions they're born into, they, the, what, the conditions they work in, live in, grow in. For example, there's nearly a 10 year difference in life expectancy between one London borough and another London borough. That's like a huge difference, 10 years in life. And I was just like, what? No way! This is crazy. Like ten years difference. It's not. We're not talking about between London and uh, less developed country. We're talking within the city. So I think that, that the financial burden uh, and the challenge was there. I, you know, I've sort of got gone through it, but it's also made me realise that money is important. People don't talk about it, and that's privilege in itself. People don't, the fact that people don't talk about it because they don't they have that baseline and that support
0: gosh 10 years within bor- like between boroughs in london i i, I was aware of um, some of the north south divides that that exist in in the uk or in england i should say but i had no idea that even within london itself sheron there's a 10-year gap. I mean, that is just astounding. This is, you know, this is a developed country we're talking about.
1: Yeah, and I think that was data from like 2017 to 2019. I hope it's better by now. But then, you know, we've had COVID for the past two years, and that's just exacerbated inequalities that already existed. Like we saw in the first pandemic, when the pandemic started, how people from BAME communities, I know the term's not very useful, that term, and, but a lot of literature still use it, were disproportionately affected by COVID. So, I don't think it would have gotten better over the past three, four years, which is quite terrifying, actually, because as a doctor, as a future doctor in the medical student, I want to try and help people. I want to empower people to look after themselves and their, you know, and their loved ones. So what can I do to try and swing the needle, maybe?
0: Yes, yes. I mean, I certainly, I have no doubt, in fact, I have every confidence that you will help to democratise this this whole scenario, you know, going forward and and that you're already doing that, Shiron, uh, without realising, you know, please don't ever underestimate the impact that you're already having. I know that sometimes, you know, certainly I look at the world sometimes and I feel utter despair quite often when I look at what's going on. I think, where is the hope? But then I'll, I'll suddenly get a random email, as I did earlier today, from someone who told me just how much these podcasts have, have has helped her and her colleagues. And they're all studying episodes and writing notes and doing all sorts of things that, you know, I could never have imagined when we started the series. Uh, with Max so you know you're doing incredible work and and Sharon, I'd be so so keen to have a flavor just a flavor of what a typical day could look like for you for a medical student who's doing so many other things what's a typical day like do you get up early in the morning are you a late riser tell us all about it
1: yeah it's a it's an interesting one because I listened to the Jess's um episode and um I like I'm I think I'm chaotic but I'm like organized chaos in my own little world, like I sort of know what needs to be done, but I'm not like sort of the person that has like a thousand tabs on You know, I'm the type of guy that has like hundreds of tabs open. Typical day for me. So it varies quite a lot because I'm on there placements at the currently so I will be for the next year and a half so either I might be clinics or on the wards or on the community and sometimes like online lectures and it's sort of me trying to balance my medical school life persona with my other hat. and those mean a lot to me like you you sort of medical students often see the, the identity of being a medical student for me it's like my other hobbies and my interests and my passions so I'm also a BMA rep so that's the representative for the British Medical Association for my university so a lot of work we're doing with the university and how we can improve the medical curriculum, like decolonize medical curriculum and like sort of make sure that we are equipped with the skills we need to look after the population. So like working with other students on there, then I also do part-time work and I'm trying to cut down on my commitment so that I can actually spend more meaningful time with my girlfriend. <laughs> because I think I realized in 2020, uh, you know, it was just, it was exhausting. I was working sort of 15 hours a day doing part-time work plus all these extra things. And you sort of, you sort of stop enjoying the things that you these things that you started because you you know, you're so tired and burnt out. So yeah, my day really varied, but bits of everything the medical school plus my other I
0: find that a really good sign of when I'm doing too much is when I start feeling angry and resentful Sharon sure. <laughs> you know what I mean like uh, I just I resent and I start to resent feeling resentful if that makes sense so yeah that's that's always a good sign that that's too much going on and you need to cut back
1: yeah no definitely uh, yeah <laughs> anger resentment and uh Falling asleep on your screen is not on your laptop. Is not <laughs> definitely not productive either.
0: It certainly isn't. So we've already started talking about privilege. We we touched on socioeconomic privilege, but I'm dying to know, Sharon, what your mm. understanding of of privilege actually is.
1: Yeah, so um, I guess I so, would put it in a simple, the simplest way is like it's like a a right almost given to. Certain people, but not to others. That's why I, I would count as privilege, an advantage some individuals may have or uh, groups may have that others might. And we talked about financial privilege. I remember like uh, my previous placement of psychiatry. And one of the things about psychiatry is, you know, you, you sort of try and think systematically about a patient and holistically about everything that's affecting them. And there's a thing called the wheel of power. And I love that because it really visually represents power and privilege and the interplay between the two who has the most power. You know, when you look at skin color, for example, you know, a white individual probably has more power on the, if you're thinking about a spectrum compared to someone of darker skin tone or person of color. And then you know the different aspects of power. And I think with privilege, it's important that we look within ourselves because we all have some sort of privilege. Might not we might not be able to see it at first, but we do. That doesn't mean that we're not facing hardship. That's not that's not what I'm saying. We all have our own privileges, and it's important to sort of think Jess described it as like being uh, she does this gratitude like um, exercises and uh, you know sort of being grateful for what you have. And I think that's really important. And I, I feel quite strongly about that because the world sometimes like you said you can sort of despair but we need more empathy in the world that that's something we really need like and more compassion which is I think the thing that lacks mostly
0: yes no but that's a really really and of course the point about empathy is is absolutely spot on and and just having a bit more perspective actually on what's really really going on and you're absolutely right to say that most of us, not everyone, most of us do have an element of privilege. And it's a very nuanced concept, uh, privilege as well, which you, you've certainly picked up on. So what's your understanding then of allyship then, Shiran?
1: Allyship is like, you know, a term that's been used more recently. Right? Like, I mean, it's a term that's been used for a while, but more used more often now. And it's where like non-marginalised groups use the privilege that they have aware of their own privilege and then try to advocate for the needs of people that are less privileged. And I think the thing about allyship is that it has to go beyond just like social media posts or, like, tokenism is a term that people use, like, optical allyship, just companies, you know, playing Black Lives Matter post or the, you know, the Black Square or before, like, Pride we just changing their colors on their logo. Like, what are they actually doing to drive that mission forward? That's the most important thing. And it's about, like, going beneath the surface and, like, trying to break away at the, the systems of power that sort of oppress people. And allyship has to be active. It's not, it's, it's by nature has it active, like you can't be passive about it. And it's like understanding your privilege, as we said, and taking it further and acting. I think that. That's the, the main thing with allyship,
0: yes, yes, it really, really is. And, and you know, you, you're right to highlight what's effectively performative allyship. And boy, didn't we see that, Sharon, soon after George Floyd was murdered in, in May 2020, where you know there was lots of activity on social media. But then, what happened after that, you know? Yeah, and we, we hear so much spoken about diversity and inclusion the the word woke is now a bad word and it's been maligned and if you're called mm. woke now it's a negative thing you know i was talking to one of our our guests earlier today on another uh, interview uh, and she was saying that she really you know finds the whole the way that she's badged as being woke so insulting because actually that's not what it's about yeah. at all so so why do you think diversity and inclusion are important because they are aren't they sharon
1: yeah yeah, yeah and uh, 100% and I think it's I think firstly it's like it's important to me but it, it should be important to everyone it's everyone's responsibility like EDI and uh, diverse inclusion is important. Should be important to everyone, and it's much more than just like programs or policies or social media posts. And the reason is because if you have a diverse and inclusive environment, it means that you feel like you belong somewhere. You feel like you belong, and there's this analogy about a party that I don't know if you've heard. I'm sure you have. And my girlfriend told me, and I was I was like, wow, that really describes the thing. And for people that don't know, it's like you know, diversity is being invited to a party, inclusion is being asked to dance, and then belonging is. Something like no one's watching it's like it's almost like three levels right and it's something that you know we it's so important and especially in like what i'm doing as a medical student and as future doctor as diversity is incredibly important in healthcare if you can't understand the patient you can't support them you can't help them and you can't do can't do your job your job is to provide the best possible care for all patients not just specific subset of society not just white male patients like you know that that's not what our remit of our work is and I think the biggest thing is like with EDI you want to make sure that everyone has a voice and their voice is listened to and sometimes there's like you know what's the term that people use where it's like underrepresented I don't like that term because underrepresented means that you're not listening to them that's what it is they're just Seldom listen to communities, not underrepresented or like minority communities. They're they being minoritized by society. It, you know, they're two different things. This is how you're spinning it, really. So for me, service inclusion is important because I want everyone to feel like they belong in society and listen to and represented and celebrate for the who they are, really.
0: I love that link between being listened to and the underrepresented aspect. It's actually the first time I've I've heard. That direct link being made. And I'm very familiar with that party uh, analogy, which uh, comes from Verna Myers, actually. She's the uh, vice president of inclusion strategy at Netflix. Uh, and I use that all the time with my clients. In fact, I have a fourth stage around equity. Which is all about being on the party planning team, you know. So for me, that's um, that's the ultimate stage. But it's wonderful and very, very good to to hear that you use the same analogy as well, Sharon.
1: Yeah, okay, that makes sense with the um, equity as well. Actually, yeah, and I don't know if you've seen. There's like a graphic I well all around the kind time of Black uh, Black Lives Matter with someone trying to peer over to watch a game, and then there's like you know equality equity and these are terms you know there's a lot of terms and it can be overwhelming for people to try and get their head around this issue because of so many terms but it's really important that people try I and mean, people will always help them like you know I'm more than happy to speak to people about these types of things. And you have to start somewhere.
0: You do. And and it starts, you know, often with the conversation, trying to just listening, you know, such an underrated skill that, you know, listening to each other really, really helps us to better understand each other and can slowly then move to being more empathetic overall uh, and driving the change that we want to see. But, but Shiran, I'd love if there's anything that you'd like to share with us that, you feel you haven't done justice uh, throughout our discussion i'd really love uh, to give you that opportunity now to to do that if you have anything else to share
1: just for people that are sort of considering doing something just to get just to do it like there's always going to be some sort of reason why you convince yourself not to do something but if you feel passionately about something and i, I guess i'm talking more about social causes that people feel passionately about let's just try and do small steps towards that. Like when I started developing infographics, it was like, a, it just literally started as one thing, like, you know, we're just doing infographics for British, in English and in Tamil. And it sort of, just, you know, snowballed from there. I'm so glad I did it. Even if the workload did become huge and if I had no free time, but it's incredible what you can achieve. Once you bring other people on board, and it's a power of like, Community, like it was a great community that we formed, and we worked with so many incredible people. Like it was actually such a rewarding experience. And I think one last thing is like don't let the optics of social media sort of fool you. People have their own challenges. People don't might not want to talk about it. You, you do you, and forget about everyone else. Yeah,
0: that that is so so important, isn't it? That whole comparison thing, and you know, don't forget everyone that social media tends to be the highlights. Of what's going on in our lives you know people generally don't post the negative news the the downsides of things that they're struggling with so please 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 Heed this advice from Sharon. It's very, very wise and sage advice. Sharon, thank you very much indeed for carving out the time with everything you've got going on to dedicate time for our conversation today. I'm really, really grateful
1: to you. No, thank you very much for having me.
0: So, everyone, that's it for now. I really enjoyed talking to Sharon to today, and I'll say goodbye for now. Thank you to all of you who have shared uh, links to various episodes, the podcast series as a whole. You've subscribed in your thousands, which is amazing. You've sent feedback through to both me and Max. Uh, You've been studying our podcasts, I understand, from at least one person who emailed me recently. So I'm really, really grateful. And so is Max uh, for you all making this podcast series such a huge success. And I look forward very much to my next truly fascinating conversation with yet another truly inspiring leader, just like Sharon. Thank you very much, everyone.